welcome to another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and I have with me here, as always, our co-host, Grant McGalliard. Grant, good to talk to you. How are you this evening? I am doing great, Parker. Uh, it is a beautiful Wednesday here in Granbury, Texas. Uh, just, just a gorgeous day. I think it's a great time to stay inside and talk about the 2011 Rose Bowl, um, which... Uh, I'll be honest with you, Parker, and, and, and we can get into this, but this is only the second time really I've ever watched this game. I watched it live, but I, I don't remember much, and, and it was really kind of cool to, to take it back. Interesting. Yeah, so um, we'll, we'll get into all this in our, in our Rose Bowl rewatch, but that's interesting. This is only the second time because I guess you, you, were like, you were like me. You weren't really a TCU fan until you went to TCU. Um, that's correct. And so yeah, your first in- football season was on the heels of the Rose Bowl? Was 2012? It was the one after. So they, they, they won – it was actually two after. So they won the 2011 Rose Bowl in, in you know, January 1. Then they won the, uh, I guess, the Poinsettia Bowl. And then the Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl. And then I was the next year when they went 4-8. and eight. Oh, um, gosh. That's, that's yeah. a terrible stretch. The Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl was one of the more miserable and forgettable TCU games. But uh, it's on time. the stadium. It is on the stadium. Uh, Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl champions right next to the Cheez-It Bowl. <laughs> They're separated, you know, uh, just, just two really, really hallmark wins in the history yeah. of TCU. I mean, TCU's got, TCU's got a Peach Bowl up there. They've got mm-hmm. a, um, a Sun Bowl. Like, basically, they've got an afternoon picnic worth of, like, snacks and good weather in terms of their bowls. So, Yeah, and listen, I love Buffalo Wild Wings. I'm not trying to, to, to uh, dunk on that. But. Oh, yeah, something to be said for uh, consistency and all, you know. Who, who hasn't been in a, uh, stuck in a Nashville airport and had to stay the night in a hotel and gone to that crappy Buffalo Wild Wings right next to the Hampton Inn? Uh-huh, who who uh-huh. among us hasn't done that? Um, all right. Well, so uh, segue uh, completely away from that. And let's talk about the Rose Bowl because uh, we're here. We're locked up. We don't know what the future of college football is. And so we're revisiting some good moments. The Rose Bowl, January 1, like it is every year, featured 11-2 um, and two Wisconsin ranked number five and 13-0. and 0, Number three, TCU. TCU wins 21-19 in, in stellar fashion, and we'll talk about that uh, very exciting finish. Um, but Grant, I'm, I'm bursting with excitement to start talking about this game because I had forgotten about maybe what, one of the titans of TCU mythology, uh, and we just need to talk about him starting out. Do you, does, does the name Anson Kelton mean anything to you before this game? No, not at all. Anson Kelton is TCU's 6'4", 280-pound punter. They said it on the broadcast. I knew he was big. I had to go back and look up. Grant, how big was J.J. Watt in this game? I, I, I can't say from, from, from memory. J.J. Watt is 6'5", 288, the season of this game. Anson Kelton, TCU's punter, is 6'4", 280. Listen, the man was a unit and also incredible punter. Great punter. Unbelievably good punter. I, like I have in my notes several times, what a punt. I had forgotten all about Anson Kelton. Amazing. I saw that and I, and I just giggled with joy because it brought me back to college and just like laughing at this monster in the good sense of the word on fourth down punting. Yeah. What, what's the, uh, what's the, in all of the size of this lab. <laughs> absolute, yeah, absolute, <laughs> yeah. absolute unit. Absolute unit. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many things about this game that I want to talk to you, and so let's let's impose a little bit of structure because I could let my my phantom facts list just just go. So let's start with how we got here, Grant. Mm-hmm. So um, TCU uh, second undefeated season. Kind of tell us what what the story of their season was and how they ended up here in the in the Rose Bowl. 
Right. So TCU was was pretty dominant the entire season. Um, obviously, this is an Andy Dalton quarterback team. Josh Boyce uh, at wide receiver, uh, Ed Wesley at running back. True freshman um, Josh Boyce at the time. Yeah. Just the beginning of his his day. Yeah, for sure. Um, Tank Carter kind of anchoring the defense. TJ Johnson, I want to talk a lot about him because I forgot how kind of impactful he was. Um, you got Bart Johnson at wide receiver. Um, you have a Jimmy Young at wide receiver. I've got a lot of notes about him after watching this game. So that's kind of your your a lot of the guys that stand out. Um, TCU opens the year beating number 24 Oregon State at Cowboy Stadium. A couple of things weird about that is that Oregon State got a neutral site game. The other weird thing is that they were ranked. Um, TCU won that 30 to 21. Uh, from that point on, TCU's closest game was a 40 to 35 win over San Diego State at home on November 13th. Um, they pretty much blew out every team they played. They averaged 43.3 points a game and gave up 11.4. Um, so that's an average of a 32-point win uh, every time they took the field. Um, and, and that's one thing I, I didn't really know about this team was that they started the year ranked sixth. Uh, they got as high as third in week 10. Uh, in week 10, I think they beat UNLV 48-6 and then dropped a spot uh, to number four. Uh, I'm sure TCU fans are pretty used to winning games by a lot and dropping the spot. Um, in week 13, they beat San Diego State. Uh, to move up to number three or, or to stay at number three. And then they beat uh, New Mexico 66-17 entering the Rose Bowl. Um, but they pretty much blew out every single team they played. This is also the season uh, of the famous college game day contest at Utah. Uh, Utah was ranked number six at the time. TCU was number four. And TCU won 47-7. to So, again, just a complete guillotine of pretty much every team they played the entire year. Absolutely. Uh, being in the stance for that San Diego State game, it was hard to imagine TCU had won a game ever um, oh, I, because I, they really tried to lose that San Diego State game. But the rest of the season, you kind of forget they were they were boringly good. Yeah, that's one thing I forgot. You were there. I, I know nothing about that San Diego State game. I came late to TCU as a fan, so I, I, I didn't know it, they had come that close. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so their, their, their opponent was the Wisconsin Badgers, who um, kind of put up a similar, similarly impressive resume. Their lone loss was um, on the road to Michigan State back before Michigan State came unglued. Um, and uh, other than that, they put up 70 points uh, against an FCS team. They put up 83 points versus Indiana, and they put up 70 versus Northwestern, who arguably also might be an FCS team. So mm-hmm. – um, Wisconsin was was kind of your this was the this was the apex of, of old old Burt Bielema's um, very boring offense in a good way. Um, they had three huge backs and they had shockingly one of the most accurate passers in the nation. In fact, he led the nation uh, in completion percent that year. Scott Tolzian, seventy four point three percent of his passes in two thousand ten. So Tolzian competed completed 74.3% of his passes in 2010, which is the highest mark until Joe Burrow this past season in 2019. Literally, this would have been the best completion percentage in any season from 2010 to 2018, which was shocking for a Wisconsin offense that featured um, Clay Monte and Monty Ball. Ball. Yeah, uh, I Just mean, a lot of man in that backfield. Well, and that's the thing is that Tolton didn't throw more than five yards downfield for like most plays. And like, yep. we, and we saw that in this game, he took a couple deep shots, but for the most part it was handed off to Monte or, or clay and then kind of 
dink and dunk his way down the field. Definitely. Um, and, and, and before we get into the specifics of the game, I would be, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Wisconsin played Ohio state in this regular season before the Rose bowl. And so a lot of the knock on the, on the West uh, of the big 10, especially before they had a championship game is that you, if you get an easy draw out of the Eastern teams, you're more likely to go to the Rose bowl or be better. Wisconsin was the real deal. Ohio state was, was ranked number one and granted they had to go to camp Randall, but Wisconsin beat them 31 to 18. Um, with Clay running for 104 yards that game. So they, they were absolutely the real, uh, a, a very high-quality football team. This was not an aberration. This was a, a very high-quality Big Ten team who was going to come to the Rose Bowl and take care of business um, in, in, yet, in yet another year. So Yeah, uh, and, and then again, you can't forget Monte Ball. Like, I think he was – he I think two or three games heading into the Rose Bowl, he had over 100 yards per game. Like, he was – ripping off yards and was extremely good so yeah an, an incredible backfield for yeah for and, and this is when style points still matter so but like mm-hmm. against northwestern where they they won 70 to 23 ball had 178 yards and against indiana where they won 83 to 20 ball had 167 yards so like that's that's just obscene what he can do mm. um yeah and i mean and, and that kind of leads into my first my first note of this the background is when you saw these two teams on the tv Wisconsin looked like a bunch of adults and TCU looked like a bunch of scrappy teenagers. That's not demeaning to anyone on the field. That is just the fact of like the relative size ratio. It was everything we heard about size versus speed, but just seeing them on the broadcast was so impressive in how big Wisconsin looked. Well, and they flashed a stat at some point during the game, but the average battle in the trenches, um, Wisconsin's offensive line, their average was six foot five, 321 pounds. TCU's average defensive line was six foot two, 271 pounds. So they were getting outweighed by 50 pounds at every position on the defensive line. That's, that is insane. Um, uh, listen, these are corn fed boys, Parker. They, yeah, they, they, I mean, corn, corn and, dairy, and dairy fed. Yeah. Just some, some big old guys. Um, and again, that was the whole, you know, that was the whole narrative is like, was TCU going to be able, you know, they could outrun the mountain West, but could they outrun, you know, the, the big 10 and, um, Ultimately, as we'll see, they, they were actually able to. Um, let's talk about TV broadcast because my favorite thing about the Rose Bowl is New Year's Day, HDTV, and you just get this beautiful kind of four o'clock in the afternoon, golden hour. Um, the whole thing just looks beautiful. You know, you've seen that iconic photo overhead where the, the stadium is three, three quarters red and one quarter purple. And there's just this stark contrast and the jets are flying over. HD Rose Bowl is hard to beat in terms of TV. That's up there with like Masters, uh, for me, just just incredible imagery. It was beautiful, and the the uniform matchups were beautiful. Um, uh, Wisconsin was in the white and red. TCU had the black shirt, purple pants. Um, just looked really great. Also, for my money, the best college football helmet of all time: the frog with the rose. Clinched wonderful. In and uh, and the, and the just, TCU uniforms were almost a disaster because Nike was kind of amping up the pro combat. You'll remember they were they wore the spit blood uniforms against Oregon State that year, and they wanted to wear kind of that frog skin and black. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a big push because they leaked the uniforms, and there was a big push by student body and everyone to say like, no, we need to wear purple on national TV. And so there was kind of a I don't know if it was a fight with Nike, but there was a revision to the uniforms, and it turned out incredible. Oh, dude, every play in that game was just, like, beautiful to watch. Even, like, ugly two-yard Monte ball plunges in the line. <laughs> this is classic football. This is great. Um, I also want to give a shout-out to the broadcast um, on, on a couple notes. Um, you skipped over the intro watching this game, correct? 
I, um, I did. Yeah. yeah. I, so I've never seen it. I was there live and I just, I, I couldn't sit through 35 minutes of the intro today, but. Right. Wait, so you were there at the Rose Bowl? I was at the Rose Bowl. Oh yeah. I, um, I, I sold a guitar to get out there. Uh, so it was a, uh, a classic college statement student. I had, had a, a, a good friend, his dad bought a hotel and was like, okay. I mean, a hotel suite. And was like, okay, any of you that want to, come you can come stay here for free so we were like sleeping on the floor and everything and uh it was it was awesome it was a i, I highly recommend the experience yeah i i, I bet so parker um <laughs> must be nice uh i, I want to give two shout outs um one this is this is just frivolous but uh shout out to rose queen uh yvonne friedman who if she's listening please dm me uh then also the uh the grand marshal for this game parker was paula dean America's own Paula Dean pre um I won't go deep into this but pre-scandal Paula Dean back when Paula <laughs> Dean was pure yeah very pure uh watched a cooking show all the time I, I I've forgotten she was the grand marshal I probably didn't know it and uh, I had this game up and uh was watching it two days ago and I was like is that Paula Dean and yeah man she was heavily featured in the first five minutes of this broadcast again setting the tone we'd be remiss if we didn't mention uh you know Paula Dean I mean, if you drew a Venn diagram that was like Wisconsin dietary habits and Texas dietary habits, Paula Dean is the intersection. Absolutely sure. that. So, so that, sure. is, that is 100% on brand. For sure. Um, and then you got Brest, uh, Brent Musburger and Kirk Herbstreit on the call, which was great. Who were, who were great. I think I'll mention that a couple times. Yeah. Just, um, you know, Herbstreit has his moments, uh, but he was impeccable during this game. I, I, I will ride all day for Herbstreit. I know that, that can be unpopular in some circles, but I, I'm a big Kirk guy and he – he delivered. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's, let's kind of go broadly through the game. Last time we did a little bit more of like a, a, a rewatchables, if you will. And mm-hmm. this time I think we're going to be a little bit more free flowing, but have some of those. So um, let's just start big picture from the game. Initial impressions, rewatching kind of game flow narrative overarching. What did you notice? What stuck, stuck out to you? Well, what I noticed and I've forgotten about this was how explosive the offenses were early. So um, TCU won the first quarter 14 to 10. Wisconsin kicked a field goal in the second quarter. Um, so it was 14 to 13 at half, and then there were 13 combined points scored uh, in the entire second half. I'd forgotten. So Monte Ball opens up with a big run. Um, Wisconsin scores on the first possession. TCU scores on the first possession. And it looked like it was going to be a shootout for a while until the defense is kind of set in. Um, and again, what you mentioned is that sort of like prime. Brett Bielema grinded out. I mean, like I said, first play was a huge Monte ball gain. Um, Wisconsin just ground and pound, and they were extremely good at it. Um, and, and that was kind of my takeaway was, you know, this was a very, very good running team, and TCU had to be at their best defensively to stop them. Absolutely. I, I think uh, I, I saw two notes on the running game. One, Wisconsin's first run of the game. So Wisconsin started the game with a, a false start and went mm-hmm. to first and 15. And I think they had like an, a nine yard run to start the game. And that was TCU's longest rush given up all season. Literally wow. like the first run that Wisconsin had. Um, and then along those lines, the Wisconsin offense went over TCU's average rushing yards allowed in the first quarter. Um, the first quarter, TCU gave up more rushing yards than they had averaged all year for games. Um, well, and so, yeah, robust rushing attack. Well, and this is something that, that I know you harp on too, kind of getting in position, good positions on third down. So entering this game, um, Wisconsin had no three and outs against Ohio State. 
um, and had uh, and sixty percent. I think maybe in the entire season, um, they had third and five or less. Crazy, which is and amazing. When you have Clay back there, I mean, you could, he just yeah. walks in automatically. I mean, Wisconsin mm-hmm. had one one. Um, they had one long play, and then it was like first and two from the two, and you just kind of would be like, just give him the touchdown. I mean, mm-hmm. just give him the touchdown. Like it's gonna mm-hmm. happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so I think that was interesting. And then kind of the, the tale of two halves. Because if you look at the first half, um, especially starting out, it was left and right kind of a scoring affair. And um, TCU and Wisconsin kind of shut it off after that. It was 14 to 10 after the first quarter. And uh, Wisconsin scored nine. They scored twice. So they scored they, uh, nine points in the rest of the game. And TCU only scored seven. In the second half, there were six drives and uh, five punts. Or four punts, sorry. Um, and so the, the second half was just entirely different, which I think speaks to the quality of Gary Patterson, um, you know, employing a defensive strategy and then knowing that they can't just stand there and, um, and take the rushes. They had to kind of work around. Uh, we can probably get into the mechanics of that in a minute. Um, and then also Brett Bielema kind of the, 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 the whole narrative in the first half from the broadcast was who's going to be able to get a stop first. Mm-hmm. And then the second half, there were just stops everywhere. Yeah. And I, I think, I'll give a little credit to Wisconsin too. And we can delve into this a bit. I don't know if you want to do it now or later, but TCU was running the inverted veer extremely well. And I know we texted a lot about this. Um, and the second half, those yards were hard to come by. Um, yeah. And I think they, they, they really keyed in on Dalton keeping it um, in the inverted veer. I, it, it's funny looking at my notes. In the first half, I have like, wow, inverted veer, God bless Justin Fuente. Like, this is beautiful. And in the second half, my note is, Boy, Dalton's not giving up this inverted beer, is he? Like, he is pounding it for one yard and getting yep. wrecked. Um, yep. So, I, so credit to Wisconsin for keying in on that. Absolutely, yeah. And, and also, Andy Dalton is the kind of runner who's, like, not afraid to put his helmet on the ground. And in the second half, every time he kept the ball, you're like, don't die, dude. Come on. Yeah. Just you have a bright die. NFL career in front of you. Like, come on, slide. Okay. Um, yeah, other, other big things I noticed from this game, uh, at the very beginning of the game, they kind of touted Marcus Cannon versus J.J. Watt. In retrospect, is probably one of the bigger collegiate individual matchups, especially on the offensive line in terms of longevity in the NFL and kind of prominence. Uh, Marcus Cannon has a ring, and J.J. Watt has a defensive player of the year. And so um, – He's got a couple. Come on. Come well, on. I was just, you know, I was just saying. Come on. Um, and so, you know, these are, these are really accomplished guys, and they touted that a lot. Wisconsin was very sneaky, though. J.J. Watt did not play on Marcus Cannon a lot. They, they moved him every play, inside, mm-hmm. outside, left, right, moving him around a ton because I think they knew Marcus Cannon could match up with him, and so they're kind of trying to exploit the rest of TCU's offensive line. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I mean, listen, as a Houston Texans fan, there's, there's no bigger J.J. Watt fan than me. Uh, I think he's a cornball in some scenarios, but, but he's an incredible defensive player. He's done a lot for the city of Houston. And, yeah, the fact that I wasn't like, wow, J.J. is dominating this game shows how much that, A, Wisconsin moved him around, but, B, I think TCU was aware of him at least yeah. and was able to kind of manipulate that. All right, yeah, Parker, so do you want to do, like, timeline of the game, just kind of straight down from first to last? Yeah, yeah, let's, let's, do, okay. let's do, like, story of the game. Go for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and so start off, Wisconsin has just a mechanical drive. I mean, right down the field, um, you know, big gains on the ground. Tolgian's doing what he has to do, but for the most part, it's just keeping on the ground or ripping through TCU and scores without a lot of resistance. Yeah, they um, definitely the, the only time that Wisconsin 
or the, the only situation Wisconsin didn't do well in is third and long. And literally on that first drive, they would have scored a touchdown if it hadn't been for uh, our guy, TJ Johnson, shedding a block amazingly and going for the legs and putting them in a third and long um, where, where they couldn't capitalize. And so Wisconsin comes away with a field goal. Um, and TJ Johnson's name comes up a lot. You know, we talked about like Paul Dawson in the Kansas State game. TJ Johnson was that player this this game for sure. So I had forgotten a lot about TJ Johnson. And I, I have a lot in my notes. We'll just get it out of the way here. I had forgotten about how good he was um, making tackles behind the line, breaking up passes, things like that. Um, interesting guy in that he turned down an NFL career to become a like, – to get his degree and become a coach and, and, and work with kids. Um, I did not know that. And uh, in this game, I would have thought he was the next, like, uh, Ed Reed. I mean, he, he was everywhere in this game and, and really tore up Wisconsin in a lot of ways. Um, that was a surprise for me. And, 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 yeah, that tackle was huge on the first drive. Yep. And, and I mentioned that drive specifically because that was really the narrative of the game. Between the 20s, Wisconsin could move the ball uh, mm-hmm. at will. And TCU uh, really, really bent and did not break. As cliche as that is, this was their game plan. Like, hey, we're faster and smaller than you. We're going to let you get some big yards, but we're not going to give up the touchdown. And that really was that, – that first drive really kind of set the tone for the game of Wisconsin's throwing hooks. It's like Ivan Drago against Rocky. Mm-hmm. Um, Wisconsin's knocking out, and, and, and TCU just stood there and took their best hit and then said, no, we're going we're gonna to counter with the, uh, with the left hook. And then when, when TCU got the ball, so they benefited from a, I'll be honest with you, a terrible pass interference call. Um, that, that Okay, <laughs> that wait, I have, a, I have a bone to pick about that on the broadcast because they started narrating it, and it was against, uh, oh gosh, I, I forget, but it, like Jeremy Curley was on the outside, and the receiver they called it on might have been Bart Johnson on the inside. And when they went back to show the replay, they focused on Jeremy Curley, and that's not where the flag, like he just fell down. I, that wasn't where the flag was thrown. Okay, it was still a bad call, but, but that's not here or there. I, I would also have to point out that um, Jimmy Young picked up two huge first downs on that drive. So and that's reliable. Forgotten. But he picked up one on, on a great route, and then he just straight up fought for one on the, uh, on the next first down, broke a bunch of tackles. TC is also running the inverted view here, and this is where it's beautiful, in that they are carving up Wisconsin. Uh, Dalton's running. Um, it looks great. Uh, also, this is one note that I have. Wisconsin has a linebacker named – Colmer St. Jean, which is an incredible name. I'm a big fan of that. Um, uh, the canon on his backstory is that his dad is a French trapper who uh, found himself in Wisconsin. And yes. like that, that, that's it. Yeah. Yes, that's canon. Um, but TCU looked great. Like they straight up went through Wisconsin and then Dalton had an incredible pump take to free up Bart Johnson. Uh, yeah. The- and so that was my, my note about Herb Street killing it. This game really starts right there because so TCU's whole thing, we're faster than Wisconsin. They, they played like it and they schemed like it. Um, a couple of times you saw, they pulled a guard out on pass protection for Andy Dalton, like really just some funky stuff that I really, really liked. Um, but Herb Street was saying, okay, they've been running the hook. Watch for a double move because Andy Dalton's so like they ran a couple draws and Herb Street said, watch for a double move. And literally Bart did a hitch and go and Andy pump baked. Safety stepped up. Bart was behind him. Touchdown. Um, yep. Just called it perfectly. And that's exactly what TCU's game plan was. They were running a lot of, um, I think they call it rails. We kind of have a two by two receiver and they're stacked in front of each other. And a lot of putting Wisconsin's defensive backs on um, a decision point of you're going to have mm-hmm. to make this decision and it, you have to make it quickly. And so there was a lot of just kind of defensive adjustment that TCU took advantage of with positioning, which again, I long to see that so much. Um, but also they have so many weapons with mm-hmm. Curly, with Jimmy Young, with um, 
Ed Wesley and Matthew Tucker, like some quality names just kind of all over the field uh, and, a, and a really solid offensive line. They really kind of had this whole system down, which is, you know, a lot of times a good team from a non-power conference is going to be a one-trick pony. And TCU on that first drive showed everything. They ran the diamond formation at midfield. It didn't oh, go yeah, well, did. but right. they, they ran. And, and they did it later. It was, it was clearly a setup play. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, just, just a lot of awesome stuff. Out, yeah. of the, out of the offense on that first drive. And, you know, you hate to oversell, like, the importance of the first drive, but in a game that's this big and there's this stage, it's hard to not kind of say, oh, here were the trends of the rest of the game just isolated in these first, these first drives. For sure, for sure. Um, so Wisconsin answers, scores a rushing touchdown, makes it 10-7. Which really, was, really came because of a, touch, uh, a play action to the fullback, which is infuriating. Like, right. this guy had two catches all season, and they, they've – play action to him and he caught the ball at the two yard line. And then of course, Wisconsin's automatic, but that, that was a very frustrating play action to have like the squatty white fullback, just catch the ball and fall down at the two yard line. Listen, for sure. That was Jared Aberderis, I believe. Um, right. Was it Jared Aberderis? Anyway. Um, I think you could tell me confidently and I would believe you. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. It was Jared Aberderis folks. Um, or about him Brady Ewing. Anyway, that's not the point. So, uh, TC responds with a rushing touchdown, five-play, 57-yard drive. Um, Dalton completed a pass uh, for 44 yards to Josh Boyce on that play, then ran it in himself. Uh, that's the famous Andy Dalton rushing touchdown there, uh, sneaking in on the left pylon. On, on the on the third of three designed quarterback runs. Yes. Uh, yeah, he, he had, uh, like, Ed Wesley ran for one yard to the TC 44, and then Dalton, at some form or fashion, uh, contributed to the next 56. Absolutely. Andy Dalton was very good. Yeah. Um, just extremely good. understatement. Uh, yeah. Okay. I, I want to talk a, 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 not a lot, but I want to hit heavy a bit on Wisconsin's drive to end the half. Um, or, or not in the half, but, but so the next drive was 12 plays, 55 yards, and it took seven minutes Yeah. and ended in a missed field goal. TCU got very lucky on that missed field goal because boy, Almonte was at a duck hook. Yeah. Um, I also want to point out this is the start of where I think Tank Carter should be arrested uh, <laughs> because that man murdered Scott Tolson. Um, he, in every passing down, was in the backfield and felt like hitting Tolson like he was either sacking him or he was hitting him like a second after he released the ball, putting pressure on him. Um, I Obviously, Tank Carter is a legend in TC football history. Um, I think he looks like a creative player in Madden. And that he has every bit of gear on possible. He has the neck roll. He has like four armbands. Yeah. Um, he's unbelievably good in this game. He definitely, he definitely played his mind out. And he also definitely had a couple hits where I was like, okay, I'm just, I'm glad he's on our side. Like that's, yeah. yeah. I, uh, Cause he was, he was in Tolson's face. Um, sometimes a little late even, um, but was just, you know, clearly saying like, Hey, we can hit two, which mm-hmm. TCU could um, four sequels, mass times acceleration. And so even though right. TCU was smaller, they were, they were able to hit. Um, I feel like this is an important time that I'm going to take a segue. Uh, you're just going to have to go with me. I have to tell the story about the time. My dad was the daddest of all dads. Um, we were in buff bros the next spring. My dad had driven down to help me move my stuff out of the fraternity house and go back home for the summer. And we're in Buff Bros right there on campus. And uh, Tank Carter is in Buff Bros. So the, after, the, after the Rose Bowl, and a couple of people go up and talk to him. And my dad says, who's that? I'm like, oh, that's Tank Carter. And my dad, to my you know, sophomore in college horror, walks up, goes over to Tank Carter and says, son, you played a hell of a football game. 
and shook his hand and then walks off in the middle of Buff Bros. No, like my son's a student, like whatever. Just like he was, you know, Buddy Garrity in Friday Night Lights walking up to Smash Williams. Like you played a hell of a football game, son. And then walked off. And I just like put my head on my wings and kind of looked down at the ground. That's tough. You know, I, uh, Ken Carter grew up 20 minutes from where I grew up. And uh, if, if, if I had the same interaction from uh, with Ken Carter, I would have done the same damn thing. <laughs> your, your, your dad had the vision. Um, uh, yeah, but he, I mean, he absolutely, again, we talked about there, there was a lot of offense starting out and this was kind of the turn of the defense is catching up. Yep. Because TCU punts after Wisconsin misses the field goal and then Wisconsin embarks on a 14 play drive that took, uh, that made 47 yards. Parker, do you know how long this drive took? Uh, 14 I, plays, 47 yards. I do because I'm doing the backwards math because I wrote in my notes that Wisconsin had the ball for 14 of the, th- sure. the second quarter. It, it took seven minutes and four seconds to oh go 47 goodness. yards. That included a fake punt. They, they passed. They they had two incomplete passes on yeah. that drive. Like, yeah, yeah. All, TC rushed one on the fake punt. I had that in my notes as a yikes because good God almighty, that was a bad call uh, on the special teams. Also, they got the benefit of a very um, debatable overturn on an incomplete pass. That looked a lot like trapping to me. Yeah, uh, it, it, was kind of, it was kind of one of those bang, bang. Like, I didn't love it, but I'm also very biased. Yeah, so. I, yeah. But um, that, so TJ Johnson had a great uh, pass breakup that kind of helped uh, force Wisconsin into kicking a field goal, which they did to end the half, and we enter the half at uh, TCU up 14 to 13. Um, I mean, at that point in time, this is, this is already a classic game. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, for the, and not for the reasons I think we thought it was going to be. Like, it was a lot closer, um, right. and it was a lot meatier kind of to start out the beginning yes. of the game. That's, that, that's absolutely a great way to put it. Um, TCU comes out and uh, scores. Makes it 21 to 13, if, I, if, if I'm reading this right, on the first drive of the second half. And then after that, they don't score for the rest of the game. 1156 uh, was when the touchdown happened. And then there were six straight punts in the second half. Yeah, which was dark. Um, there were a couple of missed opportunities in that stretch. Uh, TCU punted and put Wisconsin back to the three-yard line. Again, shout out our, our beloved hefty punter. Um, but in that drive, Ed Wesley fell down on a wheel route that absolutely could have gone at least like the 20 yard line and resulted in a field goal. Uh, that would have been, uh, like a, a game breaker, I think. And okay. Just, we have to talk about the cleats. I or, wasn't going to be I'm the sorry. first one to bring it up. I, I want to make this clear. I, I read that wrong. It was Wayman James, not Wayman James. Uh, Ed Wesley, but, but yes. Yeah. Um, Wayman James, a good guy. Saw him in the blue. Yes, lot. for sure. For sure. Uh, we okay. We have to talk about the cleats because this was an issue the entire game for TCU. So mm. the the cleat controversy was that again Nike had made these brand new uniforms for TCU and they made them these fancy brand new cleats and they evidently were terrible. But TCU goes all the way to California and all they have are the Nike cleats. So all week in practice, guys are falling down and they're complaining about it. But they have to go and play. There's nothing they can do. And that was a a, a prominent feature on the broadcast because there was a couple moments um I'm, I'm thinking of specifically one jeremy curly play where he ran he ran stick and stick became slide because his cleats gave out 
and he still caught the ball falling down. Yep. But if he had yep. caught it standing up, he could have run for 20, 25 yards. Um, and then the, the Wayman James play, there were multiple opportunities for TC to break big plays that got ruined because they slipped. For sure. For sure. And on the next drive, um, Tanner Brock nearly hit Scott Tolton for a safety. Um, that might have been the hardest hit of the game, yeah. I'll be honest with you, in the end zone. Um, and then, yeah, after that, they trade, uh, I think, yeah, like you said, six straight punts. And then we get to the final Wisconsin drive of the game. The, um, the Wisconsin drive that we felt was coming the entire second half. Exactly. So it starts with uh, seven minutes and eight seconds left on the clock. Uh, John Clay rushes for 14 yards, and then John Clay rushes for 30 yards. Wisconsin is at the TCU 33 with six minutes and 30 seconds left. Parker, do you, do you know without looking how much time was left on the clock when Wisconsin scored? I think TCU got the ball with like under two minutes. So, okay. I mean, that, had to go, that drive had to go four more minutes. Right. So, Wisconsin scored with exactly two minutes left. Oh, my gosh. So, that means they went – 33 yards in four minutes and 30 seconds. That is anathema. That, <laughs> that, that, is, that is just absolutely horrendously grinding football. Absolutely. And all of them were positive plays. Like they had a, Monte Ball had a no gain. And from that moment on, they gained yards every play and took four and a half minutes off the clock to go 33 yards. I think I have written down that I did, I added it up and John Clay had 58 yards in this drive. Yes. Yeah. 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 He did. He did. Yeah. That's Bert. That's that Bert. His name is Brett. Sorry. That's Brett Bielema's resume. You yeah, asked no. Brett, what are your accomplishments? How could you coach somewhere? And he just says, Oh, look at this. I can right. score. But the underlying thing, it felt inevitable. And we'll get to the, you know, kind of the, the, the climax here in a second. Um, TCU did not take a timeout. TCU had all mm. three timeouts and did not take one because they knew Andy Dalton can score or get us in field goal range with three timeouts yeah. and two minutes. Like the, the utter confidence there, even, I mean, Boykin gave you a heart attack every time. Kenny Hill, I don't think really had a comeback moment. So it wasn't a question like that, that, that confidence that TCU was able to put in Andy Dalton bailing our butts out was just TCU hasn't had it since and, and may not ever again. I, he was, I mean, he became the winningest quarterback in TCU history after the first game of the season. Um, I think at that point they would have trusted him to do literally anything. Yeah. And, and they should have. Um, okay. Let's talk about the two point conversion. The, the um, game comes I know, down I know to. That's the climax. Yeah. The, so Monte Ball scores. Conversion. Yeah. It's 21 to 19, TCU, two minutes left. Um, Wisconsin decides to pass. Parker, I know we're both um, winning out pass people. But if you're Wisconsin and have been grinding TCU on the ground this entire game, do you throw here? Okay. I think I do just because, I mean, again, it's like, okay, if you have Lamar Jackson in the NFL who averages nine, nine yards a carry, you should right. rush the ball. Um, if you have John Clay who can just literally push people aside, like if it comes down to a pushing match and you outweigh TCU by 40 pounds on average, run like they should have run the ball. Mm -hmm. Um, were you at Big 12 Media Days, I think, last year when Gary talked about this? Uh, Big 12 Media Days 2019? I, I was, it, but I, I don't remember him talking about it. Okay, Gary, because I can't remember if you told oh, me Oh, I this. do, because uh, about Paul Christ. Yes, okay, yes. so that's where I was going with this, is like Gary Patterson said that they passed because Paul Christ was auditioning for the Texas offensive yes. coordinator job, and he yes. knew that running wouldn't fly. And like, yep. 
I sent that to my Wisconsin fan friend and he went on a rant about historical revisionism that's convenient and all this. But um, like they, they, they're a, Gary Patterson believes that Wisconsin deliberately didn't do what they were good at because of this other factor, which lost them the Rose Bowl and is amazing if true. I choose to believe it. But I, I did love this play that Wisconsin ran. Uh, obviously, so um, Wisconsin lines up to pass. They have a man open in the end zone right at the front of the goal line, and Tank Carter jumps up and breaks it up. Like the most famous play in TCU history. I think it's currently leading the poll in the Frogs War. Best plays ever uh, in TCU history. Poll, as, it, as it should. As it, as it should, the immaculate deflection. That was the biggest pick play of all time. But they didn't run it as your typical – kind of out and in pick play. They ran it as like it's set up as two curls sort of or two sticks right at the front of the goal line, except the stick on the right just blows through both defenders and clears the way for the, uh, the second receiver to be wide open. Uh, Yeah. I call it the uh, I'm walking here play because literally I have a screenshot that I tweeted about like where, cause tank Carter's a little bit covered up and then Mm -hmm. he realizes what happens and makes an amazing play. But I got the screen grab at this perfect moment where where Wisconsin quarterback is back throwing and you can see the Wisconsin receiver has TCU safety by the shoulder pads mm-hmm. and is just marching him into the end zone. And then there's an open wide receiver right in front of him. Yeah. It's amazing. They didn't score. Um, so, I mean, that's the play that decides the game and Musburger. I'm lukewarm on Brent Musburger. He, he, he has a terrible call here in that he just goes, and now the onside kick is the only option as TCU, you know, whatever. I'm like, come on, man. You Completely get- let the balloon out. Like, let the air out of the balloon. Like, didn't – it? I mean, I mean in, in retrospect, I don't know that he realized that it was that big of a moment. Sure. But it was kind of – it did fall flat on the broadcast. Um, yeah. 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 And then so TCU recovers the onside kick. Um, there, there are some great lines. Musburger says, uh, this is for the little guys everywhere, which is great. Um uh, Herb Street says Gary Patterson, the Frogs, had an edge today in preparation. There's a streaker, I believe, that goes on the field, or at least a, uh, a field invader. I don't know if he was naked or not. Um, you can attest to that you were there. I honestly cannot remember. I do not. I Yeah, so I don't know. I thought They about cut that away well. from it, and, and Musburger was like, well, there's an idiot on the field. Yeah. Um, at this point, uh, Herb Street is speculating about whether or not TCU will go. Uh, his quote is, you know, if TCU goes to the Big East, and it's like, well, <laughs> this was a different time. <laughs> Uh, That's a very 2011 statement. Yeah. 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 Uh, TCU picks up the first down on the ground. They can kneel out the clock. Um, with like 40 seconds left, they're, they're trying to throw Gatorade on him. And Gary Patterson is like admonishing his players not to do so. And then he turns around and he's just grinning from ear to ear, uh, yeah. which is a great moment. Uh, and then I want to highlight a couple things Gary says in the postgame press conference. Um, a couple good quotes. Um, this is for everybody. He says, you know, he says he got a text from Boise State. This really was TCU sticking up for the little – I mean, Boise State obviously had their moment against Oklahoma. But this was like, look, Ben Majors, quote-unquote, can absolutely be- beat the big guys. Um, and then he says what I think is my favorite quote Gary's ever said. You know, I've been here 13 years. We started with nothing, and now we have everything. And I think if you're summing up this game in one quote, like not to be cheesy, that's probably it. Yeah. I, I absolutely, absolutely agree um, because this was, I mean, up until what, up until Georgia went to the playoff game and, and Oklahoma played, TCU was the only non-Pac-12 Big Ten team to win, to play in the Rose Bowl in mm-hmm. years, like in the modern era. 
um, since there were conference ties. And so it wasn't, um, you know, it, it wasn't the Fiesta Bowl. And, and especially coming on the back of TCU playing Boise State the year before in what felt like a frustrating game. Um, I was at the selection show, uh, the BCS selection show, where they paired TCU with Boise and people booed. They ended up not using the live footage because TCU was so mad. Um, and so Boise had won the Fiesta Bowl the year before and they had beaten Oklahoma a couple years earlier with a great game. And that felt all nice and well, but that felt like the kids in the corner at the kids' table um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of winning. And this was the granddaddy of them all. This was, uh, and it did, it changed the landscape of college football um, in terms of TCU moving and Utah moving um, right after that and kind of really opened the gateway to this, this redefined structure that we have. Absolutely. Um, and, and we'll get into a little bit of that long-term impact later. Um, I want to run through a few categories with you, if you don't mind. Um, yeah. we, we won't rip off the rewatchables as much this time, uh, although... <laughs> Shout out to that podcast. Um, but give me your, I mean, your offensive MVP. It, it's, it's Andy Dalton, right? I, my offensive, well, yes, but it's really Justin Fuente just because there were mm-hmm. so many great things in this game. And if you lined up and did the same thing that you did all season, you would have lost this game. Um, and it wasn't that they did anything new. It's just that they did everything so, so versatile. I mean, and, mm-hmm. and just the way that they said, hey, like we have confidence in a true freshman, Josh Boyce, to play some – good moments we know that jeremy curley can break off a big play we know jimmy young like the repertoire between andy dalton and jimmy young to say like it's third and long i'm going to my guy and they still get there um yeah so i think andy is obviously the center of this uh this is kind of the the crown on on his tcu career deservedly so um and so if on on field he's the mvp but justin fuente really had a great game yeah, I, I think I completely completely agree with with both of those. I, I, I do want to point out they ran the veer out of the pistol, the Invertivir, and it was so beautiful. Yeah, like they did. W- it was it was the best. Um, yeah, I, I'm in complete agreement. Defensive MVP, I, we're not breaking any new ground here. Um, again, a huge shout out to TJ because he was incredible. But Tank Carter blew people off the field in that game. Yeah, yeah, and he, so it. It's so much more than the moment. Like Tank Carter got yes. the moment, which is awesome. But if Tank Carter hadn't got the moment, my answer would be the same. Like he just yep. absolutely showed up. Um, TJ Johnson was everywhere. Colin Jones, maybe one of yeah. the more underrated TCU players in history, given that he, I mean, he went to the NFL for like six years after that, which mm-hmm. is shocking. Um, but he was flying to the ball. And, there, and you know, I mean, you got like Tanner Brock, the loosest of all loose cannons mm-hmm. um, on the defense, like had, had a great game. And so there, there, there's a ton of defensive energy. But all of that came from Tank Carter. I think he really yep. set the pace, and he had the um, he had the stats to back it up. Absolutely. Yeah, and it wasn't just pass rushing. I mean, he was making run stops. He was he was doing everything. Um, yeah, just incredible. Uh, okay, uh, I have best play and coolest play on here. Are are they two different things for you? I think so. I think the best play is probably um, the play action before the Luke Shivers touchdown. Okay. Um, so kind of, you know, it, uh, the third, the third touchdown that drive right there, uh, mm-hmm. in the third quarter when TCU kind of marches down and, um, just says like, no, we're actually, we're actually going to score here and we're going to, we're going to take control in the second half. Um, because the second half really was kind of TCU's game. And so, um, oh no, no, I'm sorry. It was, it was two plays before it's second and nine at the 42 and it's a pass mm-hmm. to Ed Wesley for 33 yards mm-hmm. and says like, okay, big play. And we're going, I think that's probably the best, the best play for me on offense um, the coolest play is absolutely any play that had Jeremy Curley running a route out of the diamond formation. Mm-hmm. So they had, 
they, one, this makes me so mad about 2019 because of course we cannot have a podcast without me yelling about the 2019 offense. But like they had their two best running backs and their fastest receiver in the backfield and said, okay, defense, you pick. Mm-hmm. Um, and just incredible. Yeah. And so, and so Jeremy Curley had some really good routes out of the backfield that were awesome. Um, if I'm following my heart though, realistically, the coolest play is Andy Dalton toe tapping in the end zone and, and getting yeah. that touchdown. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's iconic. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll differ slightly. Um, we touched on it, but my, I think my best play would be the first touchdown, uh, Dalton to Johnson, just that like, does Andy Dalton have the best pump fake in college football? Apparently uh, Honestly, because he, he, he made Wisconsin bite every time. They, they really did. And I mean, it's, that's his running uh, threat. That's so good. Yeah. Um, and the fact that he has a really quick release. And so yeah. absolutely. Um, I'm just, I'm just reminiscing about college at this point, but right. Bart, Bart Johnson. So they did a, they did a, a TC Rose bowl celebration. Um, like the Monday that classes started and, uh, they had a couple TCU guys in the, in the old Daniel Meyer Coliseum and had a couple stars of the game. And Bart Johnson comes in like two minutes before it starts and he is wearing hunting gear and they talk to him and they give him the mic and he goes, Hey, uh, I kind of forgot this was happening. I was at the ranch and coach called me. So I had to speed back here. And like, literally he was at the ranch that weekend and just drove in for the celebration. God bless um, Bart Johnson. Uh, just, a, just an awesome, an awesome Texas man and an awesome yeah. TCU man. Yeah. And a great catch. I mean, he ran a yeah. great route, ran that scene, made a good catch. Um, coolest play. And I touched on this too, but Jimmy Young fighting for that first down and like diving through like three Wisconsin defenders. Um, I, I had forgotten the name Jimmy Young. Again, I, I came to TCU fandom late. That's really the only t- TCU game I'd seen until I started college. Um, man alive, he fought for that first down. And I love wide receivers that do that. And that play really stuck out to me. Um, Parker, a- a- as an uh, amateur offensive coordinator yourself, is there anything you would have done differently um, as TCU uh, you know, on, on offense? Yeah, I mean, my, my really, my only qualm with this game, because if you look at it, TCU, I mean, TCU's drives, right? TCU had uh, three points per drive. They were averaging a field goal per drive. Like, they, they, they really had an efficient game. Um, and they did passing touchdown, rushing touchdown, punt, rushing touchdown um, to start off the game. And, like, you know, three out of four, that's, that's incredible. Um, they did kind of shut off after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that was a – I mean, you know, Gary, Gary likes to win by one. Um, and he imposes that on his defense, offensive coordinators. And especially as the defense has changed, I think that TCU got a lot more conservative in the mm-hmm. second half. And I think that they could have won this game by a full score, uh, a full touchdown, if they had not pulled, the, pulled up the reins so quickly. Um, and again, that's not the flex and say, like, Wisconsin was bad and they could have beat them. I just right. think, especially with how dominant they looked on the drive after the coming out of the third quarter, I think they said, okay, we're going to like, we're going to play Wisconsin's game and let the clock roll, which is smart and, and, and defensible because they won. But I think if I was calling the game, I would have been more aggressive because it's the second half of the Rose bowl. Like let's go. Right. That's completely fair. You're going to hate me for saying this. I would have liked more runs for Ed Wesley and, and, and the TCU backs, maybe out of the diamond formation, whatever. I think the inverted veer lost its, power in the second half if you will Dalton was taking a ton of hits he wasn't yeah. really making any moves I think they kind of relied on it too much in the second half I, I also think that if that pass would have been completed that that wheel route that we mentioned earlier um I think the game could have been a lot different but I mean man alive TCU did pretty much everything they could to win that game I, I just would have liked 
if you're going to run, give it to the running back. Um, although I love Andy Dalton, but um, I, that's really the only only note I had. Yeah. I mean, they Especially were really... if you're going to run for like ball control, um, yeah. which heaven forbid. But um, yeah, absolutely substituting <laughs> right. some of those runs, especially when it – I mean, because Andy Dalton took some hits, dude. There was a couple yeah, times man. where the Veer did not have anyone fooled. And they, right. Yeah. Um, and so definitely swapping those, swapping those out. But I do understand like keeping the ball in your best player's hands and trusting him. Um, so they, I mean, they definitely did, they definitely did tighten up in the second half and it was just like, Andy, don't lose the ball. Our defense is going to win us the game. Right. Uh, and again, I completely understand that. I, I just think like that would have been something different as like both yeah. you and I are both ag- aggressively minded when it comes to offense, that would have been something different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So, uh, the last thing I have, and, and you kind of touched on it, but long-term impact, um, for TCU, this was the watershed moment. I mean, this was everyone from Southern California that I was in a fraternity with came to TCU because of the Rose Bowl. Um, it, it really was the biggest moment in the history of TCU athletics. Yeah. Um, I, I worked in uh, student development in college and the, so saw some of the numbers about like admissions. TCU had 19,000 applicants the year after the Rose Bowl, which mm-hmm. was more than the last four years like combined. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and that's so, I mean, this is just on a personal note, but I grew up a North Carolina fan. I only applied to TCU because A, my grandma went there for like two years in the 60s, and B, I'd watched the Rose Bowl. And I'm from South Texas. Like, it, it absolutely put the frogs on a map. And that's, again, probably not fair because they had had great seasons before. Um, but this was, like you said, the granddaddy of them all. And this was like the crowning moment in the Gary Patterson era. This was the you know, mountain game for Andy Dalton, for Tank Carter, for, you know, all these players. And it, it created this sort of touchstone that everyone could come back to. We're like, you know what? Well, hey, we won a BCS Bowl, and that's more than Texas A&M could say. Yeah, you know, absolutely. that's more than all these schools can say. And, and, and it's, it's – I, I don't blame TCU if they're still recruiting on it because that government, they won a Rose Bowl in 2011. Yeah, I mean, that's – and that's, that's an achievement – no one else in the big 10 or the big, the, the big 12 is going to have. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, even Oklahoma won a Rose bowl, but that was part of the playoff. Like it's, it's still, it's different, you know, like yep. I feel like the, the BCS for all its flaws was kind of a different time in terms of the significance of the bowl games. Um, and so yeah, TCU, TCU won the biggest bowl game in the BCS um, yep. as they were denied for the second year, a, a chance at the title. Um, and so that, that was huge. And you just think about Nebraska had already decided to leave. Texas A&M had already decided to leave uh, because Texas was being terrible around those times. Um, not Texas football team was fine. Just Texas's athletic program was being terrible generally. Um, and you look at the dominoes that this caused. The Big East came calling because TCU had replicated success. TCU joins the Big East nominally, flips that offer for a Big 12 offer. Um, apocryphally, the story is the Big East called – Chris Del Conte and said, if you go to the big 12, you're going to owe us. And he sent them a blank check and said, okay, like, sure, whatever. Um, and, and, and TCU was in a really good position and that, that alters the landscape that um, really helps to call in the playoff because there's two years where TCU is absolutely backed it up. Um, and, and this Rose bowl, I think really legitimized this kind of idea that these teams that we're not including are actually good. Um, which, which the Fiesta Bowl earlier kind of didn't. You know, they said, oh, it's a mm-hmm. fluke, or, oh, it's, it's TCU versus Boise, so it doesn't matter that much. And this one, the Rose Bowl, was kind of undeniably, um, along with the accomplishments of Utah during that time, really kind of changed 
the landscape of, of college football. Right. And you talk about the Boise State Fiesta Bowl to beat Oklahoma. I love that game. Like my favorite so probably college football game of all time that doesn't involve TCU. But I think you could have made the argument if you were like a doubter at that time that, that well, Boise State won on trick plays. And, and right, Oklahoma had a backup quarterback and yeah, he was you know, hurt. And, ladder, yeah. Right, all that. Um, TCU did not win this game on trick plays. Like uh, Wisconsin was an extremely good team. TCU was a better team. Yeah. They they game plan better. They had you know they they played better than Wisconsin did. Um, and you're right. I think that legitimizes it. I also do want to point out something, and, and this is my final note, which I think it just kind of really <laughs> sets the scene a bit. Did you see what game was on after this game? No, I did not. Okay, I didn't see the the name of the bowl. It was Oklahoma versus UConn. Oh my gosh! In a BCS bowl. This is the Orange Bowl when UConn yes. was eight and five. Oh my. Gosh, yeah. those tie-ins were so stupid. They were, and then TCU was about to join <laughs> that conference, and and they're like, you know what? We don't want to be affiliated with UConn. TCU in the Big East. If the Big East should remain an AQ, TCU would have won the Big East like seventeen years ago. <laughs> and my listen, like TCU made the big, like the right move joining the Big Twelve. If you wanted to make a BCS bowl, you go to the Big East. Yeah, you're, you're going to beat Rutgers in Wisconsin in every game, or oh Rutgers gosh. in UConn. So. Um, oh. Hilarious. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I mean, what, one more point on that because I think that's important. Uh, TCU had three Power Five wins this season. Uh, yeah. It's not Power Five AQ wins, which was a big deal. But they beat Baylor. They beat a ranked Oregon State team, which mm-hmm. sounds like it doesn't mean anything right now, but was big um, at a neutral site. And then they beat Wisconsin, which was really a, a big thing for. Okay, we did it against three Power Five. Like, how many more teams? do you want us to beat to prove this? And I, so I think that plus this big stage really kind of broke the seal, if you will, on these like ideas that these teams can compete. Yeah. And uh, listen, we don't need to harp on that TCU season, but in, in six consecutive games, they allowed zero, zero, three, seven, six, seven points. Like that defense was mean as hell. And, and one of those, and one of the seven was Utah, the number six team in the country. At, at Utah that year. At Utah yeah. on college game day. Yeah. Um, which was just a, a great game to watch. Oh. Um, yeah. So, so I mean, it, again, we see just a, a kind of a great triumph story in terms of college football significance outside of being TCU fans and, and, and covering TCU. Um, this is a game where a team dominated the entire year and came into a game and did the exact same thing against an awesome team. There weren't flukes. There weren't, there weren't hook and ladders. Um, there was no nonsense. There was our best and our strengths versus your best and your strengths, and we won. Um, yep. And so I just can't understate that as this is probably one of the most significant bowl games in history. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I, I'm trying to think. I mean, the 2005 Rose Bowl, but that was a BCS championship game. I mean, yes, this, was, this set a ton of things in motion, and it was, it was massive. Um, Parker, those are the only notes I have, man. Um, that was really fun to rewatch. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it and um, forgot how much that I forgot how much I enjoyed that 2010 team and love Justin Fuentes. I think his time at Virginia Tech has clouded me on him. Uh, but man, he was he was great for a stretch there. He was, and it was funny to kind of look at the next two seasons. I mean, not bad years. I mean, we 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 clown on the Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl, but TCU was 11 and two, and they won the Poinsettia Bowl. Um, you know, fine teams, and then you introduce. Cumby and Meacham um, have that one weird year under Casey Pawhaw and Trevon Boykin, and then uh, Boykin takes off, and, and there you go. Welcome to the uh, Power 5 TCU. Yeah, and even that, I mean, that 11-2 and two year, if they'd got it ranked one spot higher, they would have gone to the BCS. Yeah, I mean, and, and your losses there, just because we're here. Um, we're, uh, one score to SMU and one score to one Baylor. One score to SMU in overtime, and yeah, by two to Baylor. 
Casey Paha oh. with, with maybe the most devastating interception in TCU history because TCU is mounting a comeback and they're going. And as soon as he threw it, everyone in TCU section in Waco was like, oh, Casey. Because oh, no. it was just over the middle of the field and you just knew interception TCU doesn't win. Yeah. But yeah, so two plays away from a third straight BCS ball potentially. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, that's all I had, man. Yeah, that was um, a lot of fun. Hopefully all of you listening at home got to watch the Rose Bowl relive some of these good times um, while there's some uncertainty. Um, Next week, I think, Grant, we actually have an overflowing mailbag, and there's been a lot of talk on Twitter about TCU hot takes, and I feel like we're going to touch on some of those because there have been some very, very hot takes. There have, uh, from us and from other people that I can't wait to to touch on. Yeah, it's going to be a good episode. Absolutely. Um, Great. Well, Grant, be safe, and we will talk again next week. All right. Wash your hands, everybody.